0: Welcome again to When Would End, the Massachusetts movie podcast where two massholes from the Commonwealth here in the Bay Area, Bay State, goddammit, watch, we watch a whole series of film. And I know what you're wondering, do they watch part of the series of film? Do they start with one film and then don't watch the other films in the series? Well, let me, uh, let me get that thought right out of your brain. No. These guys, these massholes, these New England so-and-sos from the Bay State – Crabs and such, lobster, and I'm Josh.
1: I'm, I'm Charles.
0: Yeah. Uh, so we are talking today, of course, about a little movie called
1: Hot Fuzz. Hot Fuzz. Hot, hot fuzz.
0: fuzz. Hot and Fuzz. Hot Fuzz. Who's got the fuzz? But first, the film report. Oh, yeah. We
1: were I, in sync there. Uh,
0: my beautiful fiance realized I had never seen Josie and the Pussycats this week. hmm And I watched Josie and the Pussycats, and that movie fucking rules. Oh, that good. movie is fantastic. I find it's uh, the closest corollary to it. I think is Starship Troopers.
1: Oh wow! Yeah, that's uh, so. How many decapitations, limbs flying off?
0: Well, M- Michael Ironside features prominently in both films. No, I'm just okay. kidding. Um, no, it's uh, <laughs> another. Joke. It's another satire that people at the time are like, um, what is this? This is just uh, covered in corporate logos and it's stupid. And it's like, nope, it's making fun of all of that and it's very smart. And you're stupid and later you'll look dumb for having thought it was a straight take because, baby, they was winking.
1: Quink! Yeah, it's funny to be a uh, a critic back then, to have all of your dumb, shitty opinions. Like, oh, we found... Oh, yeah, when we were talking about the Catwoman episode, and, like, all these men were like, fuck, I want to fuck that Catwoman. Man, that Catwoman looks so fucking hot in her skin-tight leather. And now that's just recorded forever. Is this dude wanted to waste an entire paragraph of his critique of a movie on how hot Catwoman
0: is. Right. Like, that was part of critical culture at that time was, Michelle Pfeiffer, daddy-like. And people were like, yeah, that's a good review. Well done. B+. Plus. <laughs> good stuff you've done there. Um, yeah, so I really, uh, I gotta say, Justin the Pussycats, the movie fucking rules, it's so much smarter than it needs to be. And I loved it. Wait. What what part of the episode are we in?
1: What did you just call me? And then we beep, beep, beep. It's the
0: film report. Okay.
1: Can I also do a film
0: report? Well, of course you are, you know, I would, I like to think you uh, are half of the show. So I would love if you mm-hmm. delivered on your half.
1: Um, I recently watched Grease for the first time. And oh boy, do I not understand that movie at all and hated every second of sitting through it.
0: Well, let me offer this to you. We both went to the same expensive private liberal arts college in Western Massachusetts. And well, I got a
1: discount. So I don't want people thinking that I'm just like can waste money on shit. I got like a 80% discount on this college but anyway.
0: I don't know if yeah. I got that st- I mean I I was a work study student. I helped actively pay off my tuition while going to college. So I I was certainly not a I wasn't there uh I'm going to give a
1: little hint to all you listeners out there, especially during pandemic times. If we have any listeners who are of college age, I would recommend this one. Life hack. Go when you are older than 26. Because after 26, your parents are no longer even a part of... I mean, unless I guess if you have really poor parents. I don't know. But uh, the whole time, like, I, was, I wasn't getting good financial aid because they were like, oh, your parents make money. But once it was me and I was only making like $15,000 a year, it's like, okay, yeah, well, you can just go to college for free. So
0: Right, college is a scam. If you can do anything to not pay close to full tuition, you should do that because it's a scam. Um, but I did do a lot of valuable things in college, like take LSD and watch Grease. Okay, so what are your thought?
1: I hated every second of Grease. And I liked maybe, man, that's not true. I hated almost every second. And I liked like uh, Rizzo, Rizzo? Uh, Wait, yes, that a that's uh,
0: uh, Stockard Channing, Stockard Channing, the great Stockard Channing.
1: She was great, and I don't think her character really did anything, but I had the idea that her character could have done something important. Would you like to share that thought, or just... Oh, no, I just, I'm just i just saying, like, I think that the way she was handled was trash, but, like, the idea of this, like, she was cool. She could have been a very cool character, and they just didn't do anything with her.
0: Okay. Well, my thought on Greece is this: watching it on acid, it was kind of like watching Twin Peaks, where it's it's a it's actually an extremely dark, upsetting depiction yeah. of life in America. Um, well, well, I think people remember it as this all-American story. It's really this like violent, darkly sexual story of conformity, and yeah. you know, it, it's actually surprisingly complex. I think um, I I don't think I would ever casually throw on Greece at this point in my life. Uh, I mean, Greece, too, don't get me started. Now, that's a film. But uh, Gre- Greece, uh, yeah, it's really dark and weird. And I think if, if you engage with it as like an inadvertently critical examination of American life as opposed to a Halcyon days, happy days kind of vibe, I think it's a lot more interesting.
1: Yeah, I just don't think it actually does anything to critique it other than showing like it's a showcase of it. But I don't think the movie was trying to do anything other than have a good time. And, okay,
0: last episode, listeners will remember Charles is like, uh, authorial intent doesn't mean anything. Okay? No. So maybe, that's you can, not what I'm saying. maybe you can judge it based on what it inadvertently reveals as opposed to its authorial yeah, yeah, yeah. intent.
1: I'm just saying, I don't think it's a very interesting, unintentional movie because it doesn't do much other than say, yeah, this is what people were thinking back then. It's a nice, you know, first primary source, primary source, not first source. It's a good primary source document to show how shitty culture was back then. But uh, I don't, I'm not super interested in it, especially it's a musical. It's, I hate musicals.
0: Musicals as a rule are not good. I think there's a few exceptions to that, but yes, broadly, I'm, I'm with you. I guess I like the idea of this beloved, cherished piece of pop culture really just showing the grim desperation of right. life. And I, I like that people tend to like, like, oh, it's fun. They race cars and stuff. And it's like, it's actually just like pretty bleak um, and full of pain. And uh, again, at the end, uh, this countercultural depiction of the greaser ultimately becomes just another method of conformity into a, a you know a pretty. Well, uh, we, I, safe I don't know.
1: Are there are there interviews? Because honestly, this is are there weird. interviews. It's, Of the people that made it, because this was a movie made... When did it come out? 80s? No, that's 70s.
0: 78? 1978,
1: I think. And
0: Um, By the way, the same year, The Grateful Dead played at the Great Pyramids of Giza.
1: Cool. Uh, They were using 50s culture to talk about something. Maybe this is like a strange, very hidden satire of a shitty world. And maybe I just am not giving enough credit.
0: Well have, have you seen American Graffiti? Uh
1: I don't think so actually.
0: I mean that that that's another I mean, that's a pretty bleak movie at the end like someone dies in Vietnam and Ron Howard plays a complete piece of shit and like it's another like oh the 50s and the radio and the cars and and it's similarly a somewhat bleak depiction of like you know, in this post-war boom, how limited and sad the American imagination was and, you know, in this pre-Vietnam – like in, the, in the, the Vietnam vortex that would suck American imperialism and culture into this inextricable path of no return. I mean, I don't know. I think they're interesting documents of this because like Happy Days is full on, hey, hey, what a fun time the 50s was. And, and Greece and, and American graffiti are not that simple.
1: Right. And I think uh, in my commitment to being a better podcaster, I will compare this to Hot Fuzz in a second, but I think for me, just I hated Grease because it chose to, if it is a searing satire of an age gone by that still has repercussions in the current era, uh, I chose to do it in a method which I find completely unpalatable. And just the, the musical... I don't know, the the way they try to like have plot points in song where I can't even focus on it because I'm so distracted by how much I hate it. It just doesn't work for me. Whereas a Hot Fuzz perhaps using and a Shaun of the Dead, the satire, is much more close to the original source, which allows for you to be mildly confused like oh is this this or is this not but then ultimately it works best to tell the story and to tell the like to talk about what they want to talk okay, about. okay we
0: get it. you don't like musicals i think what greece is interesting is that in the era of like a new robust american fascism and ethno-nationalism and the blue lives matter glorification of this militarized society we live in where every possible means of segregation should be enforced with lethal deadly you know intentionality or whatever I like. I'm
1: just going to cut out that tiny clip, just so it sounds like you just said.
0: Every possible means of segregation should be enforced with lethal, deadly, you know, intentionality or whatever. That
1: anyway. Sorry, sorry. That was dumb. I'm going to cut that out.
0: Okay, good stuff.
1: Shouldn't, shouldn't have interrupted.
0: Don't try to, don't, don't try to swing outside the zone. To borrow a baseball phrase here. See, there's a lot of great hitters out there. Okay? But they're just chopping. They're chopping. They want to get that sweet, sweet dinger. They want to knock right. that little ball over that golfing old fence. But you know what? Once in a while, you hit a blooper single up the first baseline and you get on base. And that's fine. Yeah. Just try and to I get on base, chopping. Charles. You're just chopping. And don't cut this out. Yeah, this I is want good. that homer. It's baseball want season. Hey, the Mets are putrid. The Mets are so fucking <laughs> bad. I'm so they sorry. Suck so I want watch much ass holy yeah. shit they're so fucking unbelievably bad also everyone everyone in the league has covid it's just the stupidest shit of all time <laughs> it sucks ass
1: yeah basketball was on at work and the my coworker explained to me the bubble and i'm like oh wow that actually might work
0: it's not working that well
1: <laughs> no is basketball already infected there are
0: already basketball players who have gotten covid so i mean i don't know. like the, well, the whole never
1: thing Never
0: mind. Is... anyway so i'm trying to say is this there's this dynamic in American culture where you have, like, the Kid Rocks and the Ted Nugents of the world, okay? And they're like, we're outlaws and we're badass and we don't take shit from no one. But above anything else, we respect the troops and love cops, <laughs> you know? <laughs> so yeah. you watch Grease and, and, and it's this whole thing like, yeah, those were the days. We were rock and roll rebels, wearing our leather jackets, impregnating women and getting into knife fights. Things were awesome. And – Despite that obsession with individualism and outlaw culture, that's the exact same kind of person who votes for Trump and mindlessly endorses Blue Lives Matter and is terrified of African Americans with agency or trans people or non Christian. Like that dynamic, I think, is fascinating. Yeah. And the fact that Greece depicts that culture as so desperate, as so conformist, and so spiritually, you know, deficient. I do think that's very revealing. So I think there's a lot of value in the cultural product of Greece.
1: I think so too. I just have to ask the question: Why they got to sing so so much? Why Why are they singing all the time?
0: Well, you see, Charles, when you've got a story that you want to tell, tell Charles, tell tell Charles. You gotta be fun and do a lot of stuff and wave your hands, wave your hands, wave your hands. 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 Chickity chew, chickity chew, indeed, my friend. Um, I like Sondheim stuff because. Because I'm an effete Jew, I like uh, Sondheim. I, I I love Sweeney Todd. Um, um, by and large, I don't like musicals though.
1: There's a really good French musical with Louis Garrel, or however you pronounce his name. Uh, I don't know. I like the I like the fake musicals, the ones that are like late '90s, early 2000s. That were like, what if we made a musical, but it was like looked like real life? You know, those are my. That's my. That's my musical that I that I go after.
0: Like, what if a musical wasn't fantastical or... Yes, yeah, so what if it's boring and, right.
1: and just normal? Uh, I think it's called Love Songs. And uh, yeah, I like that kind of... That's 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 the music, especially if it's in French, where I don't have to really pay attention. I can just read the subtitles. That's perfect musical.
0: So you're like, what if musicals were boring and didn't really rely on music?
1: Right. We, if everyone remembers the sixth episode of our Shrekiverse content, where we watched the Shrek musical, I, my whole thing is, like, I'm so fucking glad I saw Shrek recently because... Jesus Christ, I cannot understand what they're saying. My mind just doesn't pay attention to lyrics. It just I just want to pay attention to the song.
0: Well, in a way if you think about like the limits of stagecraft, I mean musicals are just compensating for all of the things about film that you can tell visually in film. Mm. So, you know, I think the evolution of the form is pretty clear. And I'm not trying to just disparage all musicals in one incredibly reductive statement. But like, when you don't have to fly to this fantastical liminal realm, and instead can use a visual storytelling to achieve a similar fantastical effect, that is the craft of storytelling, just visually. Yeah, I mean, it's a little hard to go back to like, oh, now I require someone's inner life to be sung to me, you know?
1: i know that's sort of why it's like interesting that opera is so popular still i mean maybe it's not but like the fact that rich people get off i of mean like yeah i'm gonna watch this thing that i i don't understand and like part of the cultural cachet is that you don't understand what's going on and it's like oh i don't need to understand it is opera it's like no i want to like under like they wrote this fucking story I want to know what's going on.
0: Well, in the 21st century, the only people who go to operas are antagonists in Mission Impossible movies (laughs) at this point. That's what we're down to. But who's
1: the rest of the crowd? Are they all antagonists? Is that like just a room full of would-be villains and he just chooses the one that he wants to go after that movie?
0: Charles, in a society where the rich elite are increasingly stratified above the commoners and everything in life is reduced to a series of corporate machinations to completely rob 95% of the planet earth from basic resources, then yes, if you're in the audience at a goddamn opera, you are a villain. There are no good billionaires.
1: Yay. Uh, two, of the, two of the things about Greece. Uh, one, the flying car thing was great. The only part that I really like understood and sunk into my chest. And the second thing is that if you look at, especially in that era, uh, John Travolta, his mouth is the most beautiful mouth in Hollywood. And the rest of his face is very bizarre. And it's like, like I just I couldn't focus on the words. I couldn't focus on anything other than I just was like, all right, I'm just gonna look at his face. And I just spent a lot of time just staring at that beautiful mouth and be like, why are his eyes like that? <laughs>
0: well, have What's you seen a, Have you seen Saturday Night Fever?
1: No, I haven't ever seen that. I mean,
0: that's like an incredibly bleak movie with like rape and violence and like it's just a you know people remember Travolta as this. You know, like oh god, he personified the the, the disco seventies or the greaser fifties, and both of those productions are actually they both they make those pe- periods of time look pretty awful.
1: Yeah, definitely. Which There's is that part of that song where he's like, Did she put up a fight," basically like instantly like, well, if you rape her, it's okay as long as you got some.
0: Right. I mean that that's the culture that that is inadvertently preserving an amber forever and obviously this might shock you greece is not anthropologically speaking considered an objective piece of academic research but yeah i think that that whole culture of like you know getting some and and uh and obviously those issues persist in our society but the the bald face nature of that world right. is so ugly and shitty and sad and like no amount of singing like the singing when watching it on drugs i was like this is like <laughs> amazing it's just really you know staring right down the barrel and giving you this horrific vision of the world i don't know i, I think there's a lot to get out of it i mean i agree with you i am not turning on grease to like relax that shit drives me crazy but i think you can look at it and be like okay i understand why this says persisted
1: yeah yeah it's a very panic inducing watch for me and uh, maybe it's the, maybe that's what they intended i don't know people who like actually allison likes musicals maybe she should have been on this episode rather than sleeping
0: Right, and maybe bad. I should have woken up Allison to come to my office yeah. to talk about Hot Fuzz, where we may inadvertently stumble over a lengthy discussion of why we think musicals are bad.
1: Right? Yeah, maybe we should have thought about that. I can mm. tell you, maybe uh, you should have thought about that.
0: Having known my partner for some time, I don't know how well that would have gone over.
1: Josh, I gotta say, uh, every episode you record, you're so backlit. you look like the guy who's on the news that is afraid. To show his face, but still has some important information to tell the public.
0: I was waiting for you to say something because I look so crazy in the in the messenger window right now. Because I'm wearing a hat, my face is completely blacked out. I'll take the hat off, okay? There we go. You happy? Uh, oh, that's
1: much better. We've
0: adjusted. Yeah, now my face is visible. But I liked the, the power I held over you for a minute there as I was sort right of... Can
1: you put the hat back on?
0: Okay, here we
1: go. Back on. I got to move those cans. <laughs> yeah you look like someone just bombed something but is allowed to be on television i look like a shadowy okay, informant
0: can... or deep throat the famous guy from the friggin' movie with the you know the guys in the thing right,
1: that can suck those cocks
0: no 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 not not that movie uh all the president's men or something with watergate remember when everyone's like oh. oh a president broke into an office jesus christ <laughs> This is the worst, yeah. and this is like after like you know Andrew Jackson and Teddy Roosevelt and all these fucking like monstrous imbeciles, like these like vicious racist imperial it's dogs. And they were like, "Oh, Nixon broke into an office." <laughs> it's also, but it's
1: the same bullshit. Like the Democrats, like impeaching Trump on uh, what did they like not talking to Congress or something when he's like m- literally murdering people and making bad decisions that are causing this country to fall apart. Nixon, fucking. He destroyed this country in so many ways, and we got him on sneaking around,
0: yeah, Jesus too Christ. sneaky, well it's just I mean this this obsession <laughs> with like but not quite
1: sneaky enough
0: there's like a a good way to govern this you know monstrous imperial capitalist steamroller that just crushes everything and it touches like there isn't it sucks ass
1: it sucks the ass,
0: which brings us to today's movie. I think we're a third of the way into the episode. I guess we can meander over to the title movie that we're supposed to be discussing. Well,
1: I don't want to rush. A, I don't want to rush it. Nah, that's the one I'm problem not rush. with doing movies that we love so much is that we've probably talked about them a lot off mic and it's maybe not as important for us to even really talk about them that much but you know what people came to this goddamn show to listen to us talk about hot fuzz so we'll have to try.
0: Yes. Well, let me say this. I read I did some research for this episode, Charles, please. Tick, 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 tick. That's a pretty bad one. will do it again. Tick, 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 tick. You're just trying it to do it. Bad. On my end. You're doing it very quiet. No, no, I'm, I'm
1: all right, but I'm right next to the mic. I don't want it to Oh, fine. Okay. Me, so tell re- me not to peek. Here, I'll hold your mic. I as actually, close. I peeked
0: a lot. So yeah, here, I'm going to do it again. Tick, 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 tick. But you're, you're, the cadence of it's.
1: It's so slow. Yeah, I think I'm trying to be quiet. But that also, it's for me, and my. Yeah, there it is. Okay.
0: So I was reading an interview with Edgar Wright about Hot Fuzz. Um, I'm pr- uh, The thing I'm proudest of with Hot Fuzz and Shaun of the Dead is that we made two films set in contemporary Britain that's something you don't always see because a lot of films that you see have a slight fairy tale quality to it. Richard Curtis and Guy Ritchie films are equally bullshit in terms of their depiction of what London is like. Jesus. Not that their films are necessarily bullshit, but sort of like the London you see in Snatch doesn't really exist as if the London in Notting Hill doesn't really exist either. To make the film in Notting Hill and not have a single black person in it was really quite something else. mm. So I like the idea that, that that Edgar Wright was like, I'm gonna make movies that really depict what contemporary life is really like. And and, and I, I think it's very interesting, where like you have on one hand the romantic comedy where two white people go through a series of miscommunications to find love, and Snatch, which is, you know, this like Baroque gangster comedy where like everyone is some sort of depraved criminal and everything you know. And I like that he was like, Look, I'm gonna split the difference and make a movie where you know, it, it's a movie ridiculous shit happens and there's explosions and silly things happen and it's heightened, but he's like, I'm actually going to try to like engage with a contemporary England. That's recognizable.
1: I think that's, that's sort of why his movies are so good in this trilogy is that it takes zombie horror, uh, at police action movies and sci-fi invasion, but always puts it in a world that is very close to what we know. And he's not trying to create like a guy, Ritchie like over the top Everyone's a fucking gangster, right? Everyone got me. He's a cheeky, cheeky geezer. Owns a shotgun, blows up people's heads, and, oh, i got diamonds up my arse, and, oh, you okay, know. Okay, okay. Uh-oh. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. yeah, it's your boy. Oh, blimey. He's not doing that. He's not doing that.
0: You had so much fun just then. You were grinning like a fucking kid on Christmas. But no, we are talking a minute ago about how, like, you know, when movies serve as artifacts of the era they emerged from. And like, yeah, Notting Hill and Snatch are useless to understanding contemporary English life. They're
1: I mean, they're useful in some ways.
0: Well, not really. Like they're 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 both aggressively genre movies. And I think that Hot Fuzz is like, we're gonna make a genre movie, but what we're gonna explore is this idea that like you know rustic rural England is this like haven of nostalgia and peaceful you know small town life, but really it's rotten and corrupt, and a thin veneer over the rotten the inherent rottenness of life and what it means to put on an appearance that where where uh, you know it, it's you actually start taking life to preserve this illusion about normalcy this illusion about a bucolic english countryside and i think that's really interesting where it's like it's actually engaging with you know what it means when we try to replace meaning with these sort of empty symbolic gestures like snatch and like Notting hill like what's the cost of that
1: right it's something that i didn't really think about i mean obviously i thought about the you know the political and emotional points but yeah to put it in that context of like actively trying to create a fictional world that really does feel like a real world really does point to why edgar Wright's this trilogy is so affecting as satire uh, i was just curious in your research did you like do they actually do this like village of the year award in the uk
0: I mean, I don't. You're asking me if I researched a very specific part of this movie. I did not do that. But okay.
1: Well, that's why I asked. The, the if you ce- did the research, okay. oh, not if you knew. Just shut it up.
0: Is. The scenes for this—they shot the movie in Edgar Wright's hometown, Wells, which I guess their slogan is the smallest city in England.
1: Right, because they actually digitally removed the cathedral because apparently in Britain, uh, a city is a the the term city is about places that were built around a cathedral and the term villages for and towns are for places that don't have a cathedral. So Edgar Wright, I mean, he's talking about versimilitude and trying to paint a real picture. Well, he's the one who's digitally removing the cathedral. Oh, this is what a dumb
0: dumb point. Thanks, Charles.
1: Uh, Well, I thought that was a good point. It's not. It's uh, not.
0: Well, think about this. Okay. So I was like working in New York City in the world of media for years.
1: Oh, were you? Oh, I, uh, was, were, yes, you, I was. Did you have uh, any awards in
0: that heyday? Uh, not from that era. No. But, but I'm getting to that
1: pre award, but. Well, I'm saying like. But during the time where you were an urbanite, a, <laughs> a beautiful
0: man strolling through the city, a cosmopolitan, if you will. Yeah. Well, I'm saying, you know, I, I think a lot of people who grew up in in more remote parts of the country, you're, the whole thing is like, you're, you know, you're going to move to the city and there you'll find reality. Like what you're doing is mundane and boring and somewhere else, something more real and gritty and whatever. I found when I moved to the city that things felt less real and things felt more illusory and more distant and more out of reach. It wasn't more gritty. It was just more stratified. It wasn't more X. It was more Y. When, when I came back to my hometown to become a journalist, now I'm doing stories on quadruple murder, suicides. And now I'm doing stories on corruption and racism, malfeasance. Now, like, I, I like that this movie is that same idea where it's like, you know, Nick Angel goes from being like, I'm going to, you know, he's like the best cop in London. And he goes to what seems like this boring, complete joke of an assignment in in Sanford and ends up, you know, discovering that every part of the world like is as full, like the awfulness of humanity, like the stinking you know, the rot at the core of of, of who we are as a, as a species knows – that doesn't discriminate between cities and towns and the countryside and the city. And, you know, this idea that being, you know, in the middle of nowhere somehow takes you farther from those essential aspects of the human experience is a dumb, made-up capitalist lie. Like you don't have to move to the heart of culture to find, you know, these – fascinating upsetting disturbing bizarre stories
1: no honestly i would say that it, it makes it like we, we were talking a lot about the bay and my mind immediately went to california but i would say san francisco is to me it felt like i was in a movie because everyone felt fake and my god you're just a silhouette can you, next episode you're gonna have to install some lights like
0: i'm not installing lights. just keep so. telling your fucking story jesus can you just be <laughs> professional
1: well you're the one that's a dark we're doing this as a video so that i can see your face and read your facial reaction like you know i can talk to you like we're people you're in the middle of one the, of your like...
0: monologues just finish it
1: all right um mm, oh yeah it felt very fake to be in san francisco and like the idea that going to a place that has opera houses <laughs> we were talking about earlier and you know <laughs> plays <laughs> and
0: musicals other bullshit that i fucking hate just play like
1: god if you look at the the, way okay go ahead i'm just i'm just trying to talk it's my podcast too you're being a baby (laughs) baby charles is here (laughs) um the city is actually a place where i think it's less real and it doesn't mean anything to be living in a city and the fact that you can cover up like this movie does show that people don't care about towns people don't care about like this focus of all cultures about cities and the vibrancy of that. But like, so that means that all these smaller places can get away with actual corruption on a day-to-day level, just systemically. And no one gives a shit.
0: Well, I mean, yeah, it's a, this whole idea of like, you know, turning a blind eye to a place that actually has a tremendous amount of power. And you think about like electoral politics in this country and yeah. you know, it's like who votes for Trump? It's suburban white people. Like who votes for Trump? It's, it's landowning bourgeois Well-off people who don't live in the cities, who fear the city, who fear racial diversity, who fear, you know, heteronormativity, who fear, you know, or not normativity, who fear like a heterodox culture. Like those are the people who have an immense amount of power. And when you sort of ignore, when when you write off that group of people as like, and again, Lynch gets into this in Blue Velvet, where it's like this this nameless American suburb is actually the focal point of pure evil.
1: Yeah, and it's like the way we gerrymander and set up like power is very clearly set up so that cities actually the way the electoral college works and everything cities are being you know, they don't have as much power as these other places. It's it's really frustrating to live in a country that so actively is taking away like using that power to its own destruction. I don't understand Republicans at all. Like Republican politics is all about destroying everything that isn't a rich person. Well, and yet so many people that aren't rich are just, like, suckered into believing that the America is – like, the American way must be preserved.
0: Well, it's not like I don't understand it. I think the idea – and it's it's just, you know, the legacy of Reagan, which is, like, big big government equals communism. Government involvement equals control. Government power leads to – totalitarianism and like that's the narrative that like launched this era of conservatism into power which is that like we want less control in our lives and less presence of government but of course you know the obvious thing is that in a deeply divided culture where there's very clear you know white supremacy and intense classism and you know what you're really doing is preserving this ossified system where there's no upward mobility and if you're not part of this you know superior class legally and economically, you have nothing. So what that vision of conservatism just sort of enshrines that, that supremacy forever. So under the guise of freedom and, you know, it it only preserves freedom for a very limited number of people. And if you just convince the group of people that they could maybe have access to that, they'll do whatever they can to, to, to save what they think is their ticket to that world.
1: Yeah. Well, maybe we need a little Nick Frost and Simon Pegg to come in and, Go blow some shit up.
0: Right. Solve that problem. So here's a quote from uh, Edgar Wright about Hot Fuzz. In a way, Hot Fuzz is on one hand very British, on the other hand trying to be very American. That's kind of the joke. The uh, The film kind of mutates half the way through and it's that point halfway through where they watch Point Break and Bad Boys 2. After that, it starts to go off the scale. That's the idea really is that it's kind of like the turning point in the film. Our idea was that they fall asleep during Bad Boys 2, which is quite amazing. I had this idea that Bad Boys 2 was the loudest film ever, but Danny and Angel fell asleep during it. I had the idea that like Keanu Reeves in The Matrix is like Nicholas Angel is asleep, but Bad Boys 2 is filtered into his brain. You know, if you fall asleep with the TV on, you start dreaming about what's on TV. The idea is that he didn't see the last half of the film, but he heard it. He woke up, and now he knows Kung Fu. Hmm. That's
1: interesting. I like Edgar Wright.
0: He's so funny and smart. I think he overthinks, and, and obviously in our next episode, yeah. we'll get into... <laughs> what is the most gloriously overthought film ever made. Um, the The World's End is unbelievably rich with detail. I think most people really don't spend enough time digging through the intense amount of, of, of shit buried in that movie, but it, it truly puts the first two to shame with the uh, amount of unbelievable depth that goes to. But yeah, I mean, I, I love that. Like he's saying like, yeah. in this movie, someone goes through a transformation unconsciously and the entire film mutates to catch up to this, you know they really don't even it's it's all told visually it's just brilliant filmmaking
1: yeah and also even just to like have him be like oh yeah that thing where you fall asleep but are sort of also paying attention like what if i what if what would happen if the, my movie did that so he's just like he works on so many levels in this era of his filmmaking. i don't know i'm sort of scared to see what he does next because baby driver was so bad and the rest of his career has been so good. And I just like, is this a turning point or what happened? Like what happened with baby driver that we should get him on the show. Hey, Edgar, I want to find out what we love you. Edgar.
0: We didn't like baby Eddie driver. baby. The thing with with baby driver is that when you dispense with the, the wink that he pulls off so brilliantly in all of his other movies that, 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 that there's a lot of meta stuff in baby driver, but like the full on, this is a movie about the experience of movies that's so important to most of his other productions like obviously Scott Pilgrim is like a hallucinatory fantasy that's that could only possibly happen in a fantastical maximalist realm you know the fact that baby driver tries to have any sort of grit to it 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 undercuts what's so powerful about his vision of storytelling which is that it's all about these these connections and it's all about the fact that we have a shared visual language of film that he so deftly weaves into other pieces of work. And obviously as we just shared, I mean Hot Fuzz is inextricably linked to the American action film. Shaun of the Dead is inextricably linked to the zombie movie. The World's End is inextricably linked to, you know, sci-fi alien invasion movies. Scott Pilgrim is inextricably linked to the format of storytelling in general. That movie is entirely predicated on the idea that these flights of fantasy fantasy are made into very real rich experiences. Yeah. And then in Baby Driver, he's like, what if you literally synced up things to songs I liked? And, yeah. and, and it's like as, as delightful as those sequences are, which are easily the best part of that movie, everything else around it is dog shit and, because the characters are just boring, thin – underdeveloped genre archetypes that don't have that wink and it's not not fun.
1: Well, I have a a theory and I'm going to just lay it out for you. Please. Uh, Shaun, Shaun of the Dead, directed by Edgar Wright, written by Simon Pegg and Edgar Wright. Hot Fuzz, directed by Edgar Wright, written by Simon Pegg and Edgar Wright. Scott Pilgrim, directed by Edgar Wright, written by Michael Bacall and Edgar Wright. Baby Driver, directed by... Edgar Wright, written by Edgar Wright. Oh, wait, I skipped one. Fuck. World's End. Oh, sorry. Back. World's End, directed by Edgar Wright, written by Edgar Wright and Simon Peck.
0: Just for listeners, this is Charles trying his hardest, which I, I have to give him credit for.
1: I'm sweating. He's
0: really trying hard and still fucked it up pretty bad. But yeah, so yeah, if you're it's saying- It's
1: pretty close. Pretty close. I mean, it did okay.
0: Yeah. It
1: was. Oh, yeah. I'll, I'll spell it out for you then. Yeah. The, the difference is that Edgar Wright was left by himself and tried to make a movie by himself. And it seems like he's much better a collaborator. Yeah. Like, Space is so good because it's like, especially these three movies and Space, they're like, they are Simon Pegg and Edgar Wright working together to make something. And Edgar Wright is key. He's a key ingredient, but he's, uh, I'm not going to do the lemonade thing, but he is, he's one of the ingredients. He cannot, I really think that he didn't quite understand how to make a satire anymore because the treatment of what was her name in the movie like there's that dumb song thing like the leading lady in baby driver
0: i don't even remember yeah but there's a she's one of the she's the worst part of the movie because she's given nothing she's a complete treated like shit sucks ass and he and he struggles to write women generally but it's usually not quite that bad
1: right and i think that that's why like I don't know you sort of can. You sort of convinced me that Liz and Sean of the Dead last episode was a little more, perhaps, in the same way that Sean doesn't undergo change. Maybe the whole time she's like, it's more complicated. She isn't just like a poorly written woman character, but like, uh, what's D- darling? What's her? I don't even know. Deborah. Deborah. Maybe. Anyway, she just is like. She loves some loser for no reason, and it's not a satire. It's just like, this is the only thing Edgar Wright could think of, it seems like, to make his story work.
0: Right. She feels like a device. It doesn't, she doesn't feel like a person. It's not good.
1: Yeah. Because as you said, like, this movie is Edgar Wright, songs Edgar Wright likes that's like the whole point of this this whole movie. Well, so, he
0: structured the movie on these sequences that clearly he had spent his entire life thinking about making. Yeah, and the focus and dedication and care and detail on that reflects what he brings to the other movies, which similarly are love letters to things that he loves. Mm-hmm. And then the rest of Baby Driver feels like baggage around those things. That I mean, it's it's a it's a real it's a missed opportunity. But I mean, look, we're, we this is a hot fuzz episode, we get it. People, we don't we, we don't like Baby Driver. It doesn't work.
1: That's true. So in the Hot Enough Pause episode, uh, going back to Shaun of the Dead, when I was listening to their commentary, like the, their relationship is like even just listening to them talk about the movie they made, like you can tell how invested and in, like how much of a role Simon Pegg had in everything. So I yeah I I think all three of these movies really work because it's a Simon Pegg Edgar Wright joint. It isn't just him
0: by himself. Yeah. Well, it was a long walk, but we got there. We did it. Ba, 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 ba.
1: so i actually watched this movie uh without the commentary from start to finish as a movie because yeah, i have this is the one i've seen the least it was the one that i liked the least when i first saw it i was one of those people that like wasn't really into it the first time i saw it S- same here and then, it,
0: it took me a little bit i think getting older this movie hits a lot different getting older
1: yeah and it, it like now that i've seen it a few times and like had a little more especially i think to me we're going to get to it next episode but the world's end is the like decoder ring to help me understand the previous two movies but yeah so like having seen that and then coming back to this uh it's 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 joyful it's hilarious but it's also doing that same thing that we were talking about last time
0: do you want to get more just please be specific to make a point oh
1: i'm leading you i'm leading you into it i don't want to make all the points
0: you're not making all the points
1: I'm not making any points. How
0: How could you conceivably listen? Right? You're just sort of saying generalities. Be specific. What is being decoded? What is the same kind of thing? I want to hear your thoughts on this. Okay. Please.
1: Well, to me, these movies are- just say them. To me, these movies- Say
0: your thoughts. Is... Conceive them in your head.
1: I got them in my head. say
0: them on the podcast. I'm just trying don't to- Don't allude to them. I just, just- Say them. I want you we to- We don't know what you're thinking.
1: I just want you to- st- I want you to have some zingers, you know?
0: I'm not concerned about my zinger ratio on this fucking show.
1: All right, I'll stop. I'll I'll stop it. You're dancing around.
0: Just Just say the point. What did you (laughs) learn on rewatching it? (laughs) Don't say Um, I'm rewatching it. I learned something. That's not good. (laughs) Say the thing you learned.
1: I I made a commitment to good podcasting. You're
0: not living up.
1: I made (sighs) a commitment. A good podcasting. Okay, so, so I, with that sorry. in
0: mind, uh, this what is something movie. you learned about this movie when you rewatched it?
1: All right, Shaun of the Dead. We got these two boys; they're friends, and is their friendship important? We didn't talk about the homosexual, like the the use of the word gay, and the, like their fascination with like telling a, a romantic comedy where perhaps the two male leads are the ones that are actually in a romantic relationship. And this is again, we have two people where they're both cops, but they're very different and. It is – I think this is the most – like their most friendship movie out of the three of them where you see like this bond between two people and it grows and they become – like you see the, the – the this is almost like a prequel where you get to understand why they become friends.
0: Oh, I mean Andy like seduces Nick into his idiotic world <laughs> and, and this upstanding cop who believes in service and duty and being a badass realizes that you can also fucking eat Cornettos and watch Bad Boys 2 and be a huge fucking dickhead. It's sick. It's like, as a statement on cops, it's amazing. Where, like, if you got, like, two, like, jack-off cops who just, like, end up pretending to be bad boys, it's hysterical. Like, that is their aspiration, is to pretend to be badass while they do, like, the dumbest shit ever.
1: Right. And they actually, like, use the word seduce. Like, the scene where they watch bad boys together is after they they get drunk. And then he's like, you, you won't come up to me flat for a drink. For the, for, and it's like this is like what you do when you want to fuck someone is invite them back in
0: and, and instead they watch Point Break which again as we've discussed yeah. frequently is one of the the greatest homosexual romances ever depicted in film
1: I actually just rewatched Point Break and I mean I, one thing I'd never noticed was that the closest uh, those two characters come to fucking is in the opening title where the Patrick Swayze and Keanu Reeves, their title cards and they just like mesh together. Yeah, It's amazing. And like that is like a tiny short film unto itself is watching those, the opening credits. Um, I think another, this is the first time I'd seen hot fuzz after watching. I'd never seen bad boys too. So this was like, we watched it for the show and now I like, Oh, this is, I have a new, like a new level of being able to talk about this movie, having seen Bad Boys Two. It's interesting. I don't think he really captures Michael Bay at all.
0: No, no. He he specifically says Tony Scott is the reference point.
1: Yes, I was going to say Tony Scott. It feels much more. Yeah,
0: he's like I loved Domino. <laughs> like like he, he, right? He's like a hardcore Tony Scott fan, and I think the best part of the movie is he the the paperwork scene. He's like I'm going to shoot this guy doing paperwork like a Tony Scott movie, and so I think I don't think it's trying to be Michael Bay. I think no it's yeah. but
1: it's it's weird that he didn't mention Tony Scott because that's like such a huge influence on this movie and um the Michael Bay elements are i don't know they don't even really think they do too much Michael Bay shit other than maybe jumping and shooting at the same time well i mean they movie.
0: i mean but they do literally do the point break firing around off into the air they do shit just got real and you know sweeping camera i mean they, they, he he weaves in all of these elements a couple, so yeah yeah
1: but yeah, he should have included like a, a a Tony Scott movie too, a little trilogy there. Maybe it's just because he couldn't conceive of them at two in the morning watching three movies. I think he's right. I think that would have been a little bit hard to believe.
0: I'm happy you've convinced yourself of, you've you've come to a conclusion about this issue and I'm, it's nice to yeah, see you. Yeah, I did you. it all on my own. You resolved it. You took a little walk there and came back home and said, you know what? Not so bad.
1: Time for some tea. Hmm, bit of tea. <laughs> Um, yeah, but what were, so what do you, I, I think this movie is all this whole trilogy is about friendship, and I uh, can't wait for the next episode. But yeah, the, the, I mean, this is like the the budding relationship, and like you really get to see them truly become friends. I don't know. Do you like? Do you have any?
0: Well, I think the, the evolution is like in Shaun of the Dead. I think. Using my charitable analysis of the film that we talked about in the last episode, the preciousness of, of how little we have is underscored by the end of the movie. And in the face of trauma and grief and tragedy and loss, preserving the things that make you feel alive, like that is a victory in and of itself in contemporary life. And in this movie, it's interesting because there is like a genuine nostalgia in it where like Nick Angel becomes more of a person by going home – going not home, but going back to this like you know small town life – and I think it's interesting. He takes a longer walk than Sean does by the end of the movie.
1: Yeah. And like, is it even, I, I just sort of assumed that Nick Angel was a city boy, like born in the city. He's always been in the city. So like, yeah, it's for Edgar Wright. It's like going back home and like filming at the supermarket that he used to work at. And for him, it's like a sense of return. And I think he can even translate that sense of return to someone that hasn't even started from that point like this idea that nostalgia is even like sort of built into this sort of this town.
0: Yeah, and it's also like, like in Shaun of the Dead, it's like I like the idea that his movies are about not investing in dominant culture where being a super cop is stupid, being living in the city is stupid, aspiring to some greater level of articulated capitalist consumer indulgence is stupid. Like I like the idea that that these movies tend to be I I don't find them regressive. I find them like there is real human connection to be found in the world and you don't have to invest in the monoculture or all the indicators that society sends you to in a, 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 a deeply materialist, secularized, shallow, mainstream way. Like you can find meaning in quiet places, in intimate things, in personal connection. And I think this is like another love letter to that idea that, you know, the idea of like, by the end of the movie, he got the job and won the girl. And it's like, no, by the end of the movie, you can realize, you know what's fun? Hang out with your friends, having a real relationship, finding things that you're passionate about, taking pleasure in simple things. I think it'd be easy to, like, look at some of these movies. And I think lazily I have in the past been like, oh, this is all about regression. And it's all about what if we had, you know, what if we could live in this infantile m- masculine and adolescence forever? But I, I think that's a little reductive because I think the idea is that, like, yeah – what do we see in the ranks of the police in London? Like t- absolute pieces of shit who suck and are like useless bureaucrats who are horrified by anything per- like productive, quote unquote, if you can call policing productive. Like when, like Martin Freeman, Bill Nye, Steve Coogan, all those guys fucking suck. They're like pieces of shit. So like, you know, there's nothing for him in that. Like the traditional getting the promotion would mean nothing in this movie.
1: It is interesting that I think both America and the the UK have this like sense of nostalgia is a part of the countryside and small rural America and where Michael Bay uses that as like a, I think like I rewatched Armageddon recently and the all the shots of like cornfields and boys drinking cokes and dragging wet, red wagons around it's like he's I think he's using that to deliberately show how fucked up our idea of America is. Where Edgar Wright's doing the opposite, he's like showing that there isn't. this isn't even really nostalgia, this is just life. And the reason why it might feel like nostalgia is because he's lived his whole time in a city where everything is a a farce and unreal. So he finally gets home, sees the same sort of corruption, and the way he deals with it is like an American-style way to destroy everything there. But ultimately, at the end, he's now living a life that means something to him.
0: Right. Through the Hegelian destruction of the other he discovers himself. It's beautiful.
1: Yeah. Especially when he blows away that big guy with a coat. I don't really like that guy. He was scary. Oh, it's
0: so good. This movie fucking rules. I want to get to MVP here because I really want to talk about this. Um, I actually suspect, I'm calling my shot, we have the same MVP. I
1: have a feeling we are going to do the same thing. Okay. Um, uh, do you want to try it let Let's on say three? they
0: name the actor on the count of three, okay? Okay. One,
1: One two. two three Timothy Nick Frost Dalton.
0: well never mind fuck
1: he did it again.
0: really you don't think it's Timothy Dalton
1: I love Timothy Dalton he's great
0: I think the delivery of here come the fuzz is one of my favorite moments in this entire trilogy
1: so I, I think we're coming at very different angles for the MVP picks um last week you picked like a second biller that really cemented the first biller's actions and for me, it's like oh, the first pillar is like how I like I relate to the movie, and I think the same thing here is like Nick Frost. For me, is I understand the Timothy Dalton pick. He is he is he nails every scene he's in. He doesn't overdo it. He is perfect. But for me, I think Nick Frost is like the emotional foundation for the whole film, and his actions really drive everything. And I yeah, I I if I maybe my MVP is like if this person were gone or worse acted it would like seriously detract from what the movie does and i think if timothy dalton's character weren't as good the movie would still work
0: well i hear you like if nick frost doesn't embody a seductive depiction of mediocre idiocy then you're right it doesn't work i guess to me I look for I think villains or antagonists or sources of tension are so critical. Because in so many of the more generic action movies we watch together, when you have a bad villain, everything else sucks because the stakes just don't feel interesting. And in Timothy Dalton's like fucking just foaming at the mouth, almost like (laughs) Daniel Plainview level evil as a supermarket
1: owner. It's perfect like he's just
0: so fucking, you know, like you know, early in the movie, he's like, I'd hate to have to kill you or whatever. And like, then, like, later, he is, in fact, a guy who kills people. Like, I just love that he's just so over the top and then lives up to exactly our expectation of that. Like, right. that's sort of funny. He's not a red herring. He is, in fact, a fucking psycho and the core of most. I love it. This is
1: one of those movies where, um, like, I don't know, a lot of times you're like, oh, if you watch it again, like what, re-watching movies is different. And this is one of those movies where it, you do have a whole, this is like you watch a whole new movie having seen it one time and then you get to watch it again. You can like really see the way Edgar Wright's putting this all together. And then yes, like from the first moment you meet him, like, oh, he is the bad guy. And because it's so upfront, you're like trained through all of your watching a movie to be like, oh, maybe he's the red herring. And then it's like, no, this is like, this is, this is what Edgar Wright's all about. is like, it's so obvious to spot people that are actually doing bad things in the world it isn't like there's no they don't even have to hide it they can be literally saying i will murder you and everyone's like oh is he gonna do that it's like yeah yeah he's the fucking king of the town he can do that if he wants to yeah
0: there's like the rapacious nature of entrepreneurialism and capitalism and what it means to be an owner what it means to be in a society where being an owner is everything like yes that is the bad guy it's it's not a fucking mystery
1: right so yeah, it's it's this movie works on every level, and I think it's out of the three, it's the the one that actually has like the happiest ending.
0: Yes, absolutely.
1: Yeah, it's Shaun of the Dead is as we talked about, is sort of sad, and it seems like it's a happy ending. And like in the commentary, they talked about oh, we wanted to do a happy ending, but ultimately for them, that means like a fake happy ending. And I really think that Hot Fuzz is a really Funny second act where we're so used to second acts being like Empire Strikes Back, where it's like, oh, this is the downer, so that the third one can be the, the final triumphant hurrah, where we know that the third one on this is like the most fucked up, grueling, saddest moment of the whole the whole trilogy.
0: Oh, that's well said. Yeah, I agree. I mean, uh I, I think I love that uh you know the thing that, that Nick Angel is aspiring to that he doesn't even know he doesn't have in the beginning of the movie. I and mean, one of the best parts of the movie is him breaking up with his girlfriend who is Kate Blanchett wearing a complete bodysuit, so she is indistinguishable from everyone else at the crime scene. She is amazing. Yeah. You just see this guy who's like, I am a cog. I am one hundred percent a productive unit of this machine. I am a great cop, and who I am is being good at my job, and my job is being a cop. And 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 very subtly I think also through his peace plant which is hysterical I love that that running Mm -hmm.
1: yeah I was thinking about the same thing
0: right his life is like he only understands life from a standpoint of like basic production you know everything is for a purpose there's nothing else there's no fat in his life he doesn't drink he drinks cranberry juices at the pub he's just like really is joyless in his expression of self
1: no one likes drinking cranberry juice
0: I don't mind it once in a while but dear god on a regular basis is, is bizarre um I so I love the fact that, you know, he gets his groove. He gets he learns how to love. He learns how to have fun. He learns how to not take being a cop so seriously. He learns how to have a relationship that's not transactional and and not based on like ticking boxes and it's it is weirdly. I mean, I like that he like redeems a cop from being a shithead. Yeah. He like redeems a cop from being like a joyless asshole. And that's nice. I think we could all dream of a world where cops didn't fucking suck. Um, and obviously I'm not going to get into the copaganda straight here. I think this movie just rules and I don't want well, to kind of d- get you d- in with that.
1: Yeah. I mean, it's British police, which are already, I believe demilitarized, right? They don't arm themselves. Uh, they
0: still do all kinds of shitty stuff. Like yeah. yeah, yeah. And, and cops inherently of uh, yeah.
1: But seeing like, seeing how he is a good cop in, in his final form where he's not doing the dumb bullshit just to be productive. He's actually helping the town. better and himself be better
0: but i I, yeah if there's a vision of police as helpful and not discriminatory agents of violence and racism yes he he gets closer to that utopic vision of what a cop could be and
1: i I think uh i always sort of want to go out for myself on we talked uh about you know how he fucking failed in baby driver to make a woman character and i think next movie is going to be a lot about the female lead the first Shaun of the dead is a fake romantic comedy where that seems to be what's important and I think we talked is really not. This one the woman his his girlfriend is broken up with off-screen before the movie starts and there's one moment No, not
0: off-screen. I just talked about the scene where they break up.
1: I thought they had already broken up.
0: Oh, you're right. Sorry. But but there's a scene where they, they, he talks I'm about right. leaving with her. So, okay. Oh, yeah. fine. Fuck <laughs> off. Yeah, so that's Shut the, up. there's only Olivia one moment Coleman is, Olivia Coleman rules in this movie.
1: Mm. There's only one moment where she's in the movie and after that it's he's basically replaces the romance with a friendship where you have to really understand yourself in order to know how to love somebody. So like uh, Buttersworth, whatever his name Danny Butterman is like represents the sort of s- the the solve that helps Nick Angel really like find out who he is and realizes that he needs to do that before he can love somebody else. And then we're gonna get to the third one where it's like a lot of this movie I sort of forgot about it before I rewatched it is about like the failed relationship that he had with the, the high his high school, like not even girlfriend and like how that sort of everything is a haunting for him. But the way that he interacts with her and did interact with her is a huge point of embarrassment and failure for him. And I think that's why Simon Pegg is a genius is because he, through space, through all these movies, this idea of like coupling and falling in love with someone is like it, it like in space. It's about how two people are forced to live together, and like the whole joke is that they're not actually in love with each other. And I don't think they ever really they become friends. And that's why, like, like, he always is like dismantling the idea of a heterosexual partnership.
0: Well, what, what's our partnership to you?
1: <laughs> I'm fucking falling asleep watching Bad Boys too
0: drinking craft beer, <laughs> and ignoring our girlfriends. Oh, oh fuck. yeah, I gotta go. Um, <laughs> I, <laughs> Oh, shit. The kids. Um, before we we end the episode, I think we've covered a lot of good ground here. Uh, I want to do a sub MVP shout out for Patty Considine, who is wonderful and as one of the two Andes in the small town detective bureau is fantastic. The you've got a mustache. Yeah, I know. Exchange is one of my favorite moments of the entire trilogy. Um, the fact I love, I love it in these movies and people commit to the nth degree and Patty mm. Constine is just delightful in this. I love him.
1: I think it's funny that we haven't really talked about in either episode how funny these movies are. And I think a lot of time, like when we were watching them, like I remember when these came out, people were like quoting these movies and these work because they're so funny and because they're a joy to watch. And that allows Edgar Wright to like really, and Simon Pegg to just like sort of like build into it all the pathos that comes with being a human.
0: Well, I mean, it's interesting because, you know, we talked to during in our Behind the Paywall Patreon episode, we discussed how Edgar Wright loves Raising Arizona. And then in a lot of these interviews about these shows, he talks about American comedy like Curb Your Enthusiasm. And so there's this funny mixture of like really heightened cartoonish shit mixed with basic daily humiliations and grievances and frustrations. And I think that he hits that tone all the time of like, just the most pedestrian issues in the universe mixed with the most slapstick, explosive, full cartoon shit. And I think that's what makes it work. Like, it is it is fucking funny. And, like, if this shit didn't – did, if it wasn't funny, these would just be weird oddities. But they're hysterical.
1: Yeah. Yeah, the British are expert at turning embarrassment, shame, failure into something that is ecstatically hilarious.
0: yeah. So let's uh, wrap up our episode. You know, I think uh, we'll just—I'll have to—we'll just—we'll just do it because we have to. Are you asking when will will end?
1: Mm, no, 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 not going to do it this time,
0: Charles. Nor am I because wow. I think we can end the episode with this. I think the world's end is the brilliant conclusion to this trilogy. I think it is the least understood of the films. I think as much as Hot Fuzz – you were saying like oh, a lot of people didn't like – it's like Hot Fuzz is quite popular. It did fine. Everyone loves it. It's it's not as much of a thinker as The World's End. I think The World's End is a Baroque masterpiece that is this, the culmination of these movies and to date the best Edgar Wright film. I know you're more of a Scott Pilgrim guy, but – I think um, so.
1: I think – but they're very similar. They're both like, oh, what if the hero that we've been like trained to think of the hero the whole time was a total – piece of shit
0: right we'll save and some like, of it not money. even a piece of save shit of i don't know like w- stop we're teasing
1: <sighs> we're teasing all right so anyway hot. if you if you listener think you understand world's end you you're probably a fucking dumbass so rewatch yeah, it yeah fuck you idiot you got a week yeah count it down unless you're listening to this on a tuesday or thursday or you might have less than a week at this point rewatch the clock is it ticking do your best take some notes try to move beyond your dumbass sensibilities and figure it out but you know what if you don't we'll be here to help you out on next episode of when when will will it, it when end, will it end?
0: Yeah. Are you, are you recording? Are you getting a little pre-roll? Oh, yeah. yeah. You're getting pre-roll? Oh, yeah, yeah. It's great when uh, you let your girlfriend, your fiance, sleep in so you can uh, research hot fuzz interviews and shit.
1: Yeah. Yeah, definitely.
0: Do-do-lo-do, do-do-lo-do, do-do-lo-do. I got a little Grateful Dead in the mind, if you can believe it.
1: Mmm. I couldn't tell, but.
0: Yeah. I found some other good shit talking I wanted to bring up. Oh, good. Oh, I found it okay i'm ready when you are
1: let's count it down
0: actually one sec sorry i lied to you that's all right okay ready yep five four three
1: Three, two two, one. one